0: Good morning, friends. Good morning. I was joking uh, earlier that I feel like I should be wearing lederhosen up here and singing kind of The Hills Are Alive with the sound of music. It's very, this just makes me think of Austin in the summer, so that's perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, my name is Whitney. I'm on staff here at Covenant. I work with our high school and middle school students, and occasionally they let me preach. Lucky you, today is one of those days. Uh, We are in the third week of our James series, and I love the book of James. I love it for so many reasons. One of the reasons I love the book of James is it is written to a community. It is written to us to read as a community. Um, It was James sent it out to different churches. They sat and they read it together, and they talked about the different things he goes through and how uh, how their lives reflect those things and the different things that need to change in their lives. It is meant to be read as a community. I think that uh, because we are kind of putting James into the summer, which is not a whole lot of weeks, we are sometimes preaching on giant passages of Scripture, and there's no way we can get to every single thing as we preach through these passages of Scripture. Something I want to encourage you all to do as we go through the book of James is if something strikes you, if something hits you that doesn't necessarily get covered up here, that doesn't negate the importance of what God is talking to you about— that a few weeks ago, uh, we went through the very beginning of, of, um, of James, and there was a whole passage on doubt, and we, uh, we didn't have time to get to that. And so, um, But I know the young adult group had a wonderful conversation about doubt, that there are going to be things that come up throughout the book of James that might not get covered up here, but that God might strike in your heart, and those are things that we should pay attention to. I, I kind of saw the analogy of the book of James is it's not this like smooth surface that we just kind of wipe our hands over and think, oh, that was nice. It's kind of this like, uh, I see it as almost like an old picnic table and we, the book of James is kind of like rubbing your hand against the grain that sometimes something might get you and uh, sometimes that thing that gets you might not even be talked about up here, but I encourage you, if something gets you, go home and talk to your community about it. Your community could be your small group, it could be your D group, it could be uh, your Sunday school class, it could be your family. But these are things, God is going to churn stuff up as we go through the book of James, and I, I wanna encourage you to not ignore that. Another thing I love about the book of James is old James is kind of a straight shooter. He uh, James just kinda comes at you. He didn't have a whole lot of pleasantries in this, Paul, and Thomas and I talked about this, when Paul's letters are like, my dear Philippians, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's, Paul's, doesn't Paul have a cool voice? I I don't know where that came from. But Paul, so so Paul is like very, very kind of, it's nice, Paul's nice. And James is like, hey, what's up? All right, listen, you guys have got to stop complaining about your suffering. God's doing something in it. Also, your doubt, (laughs) mm-mm. and your money, not your money, it's God's, so stop spending it the way you're spending it, give it away, and you're like, oh, Mm-hmm. Got it. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Uh, I, and so, I, re, I really like that. But some people find that James can be, some people can trip up on James sometimes. I think they can find that it's a little un, un, unpalatable, and even it can come across as graceless. That it puts a whole lot of pressure on us and our actions and our behaviors. And I've even had some folks ask me, does that, what if I mess up, right? Like, what if I don't do all the things that James calls us to do. Does that disqualify me from the kingdom? Does that, where's the cross? I really wanna get to that whole cross thing. And the truth is, is James doesn't talk about the cross much. I think he only mentions the name of Jesus twice in the book of James. And so it could be easy to say like, so just real quick, what saves me? Is it the cross or is it my actions? So I think it's super important for us as we dive into the book of James to kind of um, frame exactly why James was writing this letter and who it was to and what it was for. So I just want to be very, very clear from the beginning that the only... Thing that saves us, you and me, from sin and death. The only thing is the cross of Christ. There is nothing outside of that that can save us from sin and death. It is a final and complete work that God did for us on our behalf, and it is done and is the only thing that can save us. The word that we use for that is the word justification. That's kind of the fancy word that apparently they use in seminary. I don't know, I didn't go, but uh, I've, heard, I've heard it. So uh, the, they use the word justification, and in short, what justification means is that you and me and all of humanity, we are all sinners. We are all sinners, and sin is expensive. It has a price, and the price for sin is death. Where there is sin, death must come. That's how the law was written, and that's how it is. God is just. He is a just God. He is always pursuing justice, so it would go against his character for him to say, oh, I see sin, I know the penalty is death, but mm, we'll just let it slide. That isn't how God works, his character is just. So every time there's sin, there must be death. which left us kind of in a bind. So God, because he is also, his character is also merciful and full of grace, saw it fit to send Jesus to stand in our behalf and to take that penalty that you and I so deserved and to die on our behalf so that justice was satisfied and we were saved or justified. So that's what justification is about. But the, the, crazy thing is, is that it doesn't just end with that. There's a whole next step after that. That as you and I, after we have been Justified by the cross of Christ, that begins us on this new path, this journey that is laid ahead of us, that is full of the precepts and the ways of God, the things he has called us to, the plans he has for our lives, for your life and for my life. And these plans are are wonderful and amazing. He is the author of life, so he knows exactly how life should be lived. So he's laid before us this path of holiness, this path that will heal us, this path that goes into all the broken areas of our lives and restores it and friends the name of that path is called sanctification that is what is before us and so once we have been justified we are now on this path to be sanctified and god has laid this path before us and that's what the book of james is all about is us pursuing our sanctification the problem here is, is we can never allow these to get out of order. If we ever, It's always justification and then sanctification. If we ever try to flip-flop them and think that maybe we can work hard enough to earn our salvation, we will be chasing after something our entire lives. We will be trying to earn something that we cannot ever earn, that salvation is not earnable. We do not obey obey God. We do not chase after these precepts he's laid before us in order to be saved. It is because we've been saved and so stunned by the beauty of the cross that we must chase after what is before us. And, And what James is writing here is he is seeing a lot of people saying that I am a Christian, I have been justified, I'm a Christ follower. And James is seeing very, very little evidence of the transforming love of Christ and of a life that is pursuing sanctification. So he is calling them out on it. It's hard. It's hard because I can't, I can't just think, man, those churches have got it wrong. Uh, this applies to me, too. And I would think probably to you as well. Is that we can't just end it with the cross, but we, we don't just say thanks for salvation, see you in heaven, and walk away. No, that he has saved us to this amazing life before us, but he has laid before us this path of sanctification, and that is what we must pursue. These are the things that we need to have before us, the framework that we need to have as we look at the book of James to know that, no, this isn't what saves us, but this is the path that God has laid before us for the most abundant life. So with that in mind, we're going to jump into our scripture today. We're going to be in James 1, 19. Um, and you guys, i if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them. If you don't have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to bring them. We are going to study this every week, and so it's just good to have it along with you. Uh, you're not in trouble this week, but bring it next week. And if you don't have one, find me, I'll get you one. We have tons in the lost and found, so we'll just, <laughs> just snag you one. Uh, okay, uh, before we get into this, let's take a second and pray. Holy God, we thank you that because... You have justified us that we get to walk on this path of sanctification. And God, many of us have veered from this path. Many of us have lost our way, and thank you for the book of James which calls us back to it. We ask right now that you would use this word to penetrate our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You would remind us of the areas of our lives where we need to allow you access. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. Alrighty, James 1, 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if I'm being 100% honest, when I got assigned this scripture I was annoyed, and here's why. There are four sermons in this chunk of scripture, four, maybe even five, and I have 20-ish minutes, and plus I've used the first 10 talking about justification and sanctification, so, and that's not even part of my scripture, so I've kind of got it like shoved in. I, I, have to, I was like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? I looked at Thomas and was like, I I need an hour, (laughs) sorry. So uh, I started, I really started asking the Lord, what is the common thread throughout this scripture, and really the common thread throughout James? What is the common thing that we can find throughout this scripture? And as I looked and, and read through the book of James and prayed about it, the thing that kept coming up time after time after time is this. Is that the book of James does not allow us to compartmentalize Jesus? He doesn't allow us to say, "Yes, I'm a Christian, and this is Jesus's little area, and but the rest is mine, and you you get this spot, and you're lucky to have that spot, Jesus, but the rest of it is mine." a compartmentalized Christian might sound like this. Yes, I'm, I'm a Christian, and this is Jesus. Isn't he precious? He saved my soul. And he lives at the church. He lives there, and I go visit him on Sundays, sometimes on Wednesdays, depending on the homework situation. And, um, of course, I'm a Christian, so Christmas and Easter were there, but isn't he just precious? He's so cute. He lives at the church. A compartmentalized Christian kind of lives like that, and the book of James looks at us and says, Christian, it doesn't work that way. See, Jesus didn't come to justify us so that we might just see him in heaven. He came to save us from death and then to put us on this path to healing every nook and cranny and broken area of our hearts and our lives. Jesus wants access to everything. And the book of James makes that very clear. Jesus wants to come in and transform every part of our lives, from our suffering to our doubt, from, from our sin to our identity, from our finances to our speech. He, does, he leaves no rock unturned. And that's exactly what Jesus does when we become Christ followers, is he says, I want to know every single part and area of your life. And not because he's nosy. He's not, it's not because he's nosy, it's because there are parts of our lives that are broken and we have spent our entire life trying to fix that, trying to restore that area. We've spent counseling, we've talked to friends, we've tried to ignore it, we've tried everything and the only thing that can ever transform it is the transformative love of Jesus. That is why he came and, and, and suffered the cross for us was because he can do the healing work that nothing else can. But I think so often you and I are kind of like children in that if you're ever around a child when they get hurt, sometimes they go and um, curl up in the corner and kind of just hold on to what hurt, hurt them. I was a nanny, and one time my little one got a, a splinter, and she wouldn't let me see it. And I said, Caitlin, if you'll just let me, if you'll let me see it, I can fix it. And, and, and sh- she wouldn't. I had to convince her, and I often think that's how we are with Jesus. I see him with this scripture, even talking about the anger, coming up to me and saying, Whitney, sweet girl, I see you've got anger in your heart. So often, anger is a result of hurt. Won't you let me look at this? Won't you let me take, I can, I can heal that part of you. Talk about learning to ride the bike backwards. is allowing Jesus into those areas that we don't want him in. As I was thinking about this, as God put this on my heart, I was reminded of a story that I heard. Um, And I heard this story when I was in high school, and clearly it stuck with me, because here I am 15 years later um, sharing it. And um, the name of this story is My Heart, Christ's Home. And it's this analogy. The analogy is that a man becomes a Christian and he is showing Jesus around his heart as if it was his home. So he goes to the dining room, and he says, all right, Jesus, this is my dining room. I eat here, um, but I'm always, I, I eat, but I'm never really satisfied. And Jesus is like, well, what, are you, what have you been eating? And he's like, well, money, riches, popularity, success. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, that's totally not gonna satisfy you. But I've got something that, that can. And so Jesus comes in and does a transformative work of what this man is feasting on. Then they go to the library, which is really the room of this man's mind. All of a sudden, Jesus is like, yeah, no wonder you're having a hard time not sinning. Look at the books you've got in your library. Look at the magazines on your dining room table. You've got f- all kinds of stuff in here that's filth. Let me come in here and transform it, put all new things in there. So he, he goes and he transforms his library, and he takes him to all these different rooms. And this story really was, was hitting home with me. And then he got to the hall closet, and that's what we're going to read today. One day, I found Jesus waiting for me at the door. An arresting look was in his eye. As I entered, he said to me, there is a particular odor in the house. Something must be dead around here. It's upstairs, and I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. There was a small closet upstairs on the landing, just a few feet square. In that closet, behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I did not want anyone to know about. Certainly, I didn't want Christ to see them. I knew they were dead and rotting things left over from the old life. I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit that they were there. Reluctantly, I went up with him. As we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed to the door. I was angry. It's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to the library, the dining room, the living room, the workroom, and now he was asking me about a little two-by-four closet. I said to myself, this is too much. I'm not giving him the key. Well, he said... I'll wait here until you're ready. As I stared at him, I knew it was time. I'll give you the key, I said sadly, but you'll have to open the closet and clean it out. I haven't got the strength to do it. Just give me the key, he said. Authorize me to take care of that closet and I will. With trembling hands and fingers, I passed the key to him. He took it, walked over the door, opened it, entered, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting in there, and he threw it away. Then he cleaned the closet and painted it. It was all done in a moment's time. Oh, what victory and release to have that dead thing out of my life. When I heard this story, it all hit me but when we got to the hall closet, it punched me in the gut, because I had one of those. Friends, the truth is, is we all have one of those. These areas that we are hiding, whether it's because of shame or because it's too big, we don't know how to deal with it, it's too dark, we don't think Jesus would want us or accept us, we, have, we think we're the only one with this thing in our life, and I promise you, as we read the book of James, Jesus will sniff it out. And he will come to you and say, hand me the key, I can manage it. Jesus didn't open that, this guy's closet and say like, oh man, yeah, you are nasty. He, did, he didn't do that. He said, oh, thank you, yes, let me in there. I can do this work, that's why I came on the cross, is to do the healing work in your lives. In verse 21 that we read today, it said that if we, if, to get rid of all filth in our lives, and that if we will uh, put the word in our heart that it is, has the power to save our souls, and the word save there actually means to be brought back to health. That that's the work of Jesus is he saves us and then he heals us. Each of us has broken, dark areas of our lives. And as we go through the book of James, some of that is going to bubble up. And my question to you is when are you going to hand over the key and ask the Lord to manage it? Because He wants to and He will. And friends, He is persistent. He will come after that area over and over again, and the freedom and the release from the shame that we feel when we say it is yours and not mine anymore." that is what the cross is all about. Let's pray. God, we come to you a broken people, broken people needing all areas of our lives renewed sanctified, changed. Father, each of us has those hidden crevices in our hearts, and we ask right now that in the name of Jesus, you would come and do the healing work in those nooks and crannies of our lives. God, that we might somehow find the strength, be it in our own prayer time or with our community, to release that area and to ask for you to do the healing work. God, from the way we communicate to the way we deal with our anger to our identity, as your scripture says, let us not just be hearers but be doers. God, may as we hear these areas of our lives that need transformation, may we be doers by handing over the key and releasing it to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you are willing to do the dirty work that we can't do how we need you, God. Your name I pray. Amen.